and it will call this sort of change, this sort of allyship, this sort of authenticity as heresy. That is very problematic because when we look back at the history of church, the things that they called heresy one day are orthodoxy the next day. So we've got to be very, very careful that we are not so inflexible that we can't entertain the idea that we've been wrong again and again. This is Down to Earth Conversations, where we hear from ordinary people who are helping to bring a bit of heaven down to earth. Kia ora. Welcome to another episode of Down to Earth Conversations with me, your host, Andy Dixon. Today's episode is slightly different from normal. Recently, I was privileged, along with former guest Michael Frost, to be on a panel at a workshop about rethinking our beliefs regarding sexuality and gender. The main speaker that day was Amanda Pilbrow from Already Enough, and Amanda and I took the opportunity to sit down together afterwards and debrief the day a little bit. Now, it doesn't matter if you weren't there, we don't go into the details of the day as much, but we, we talk about things that came up for us during the day. We talk about ideas that were covered in the workshop and people's reactions to them. We discuss how questions about our faith are actually holy invitations even if we've been taught that they are signs of unfaithfulness. Amanda reminds us to listen to those for whom this is lived experience, rather than treating this as a theological theory. And we acknowledge the courage that it takes to step into this journey when there can be so much at stake. If you want to hear more of Amanda's story, uh, head to episode 79 of Michael Frost's podcast in The Shift. But for now, this is episode 77 of Down to Earth Conversations, Here's Amanda Pilbrow. So uh, today I've been at a set of workshops run by Amanda Pilbrow. And right now we're sitting at the kitchen table in the apartment that we're, we're staying in. And we're just going to have a bit of a chat about the day. And um, so, Amanda, it's great to have you join me on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So do you want to tell the listeners about what today was, like mm. what the workshop was, and how it came about that you got involved? Mm. So I've got a website that I've curated called Already Enough. And it's a, a resource sorting hub of a whole heap of resources that are theological and also for people who are shifting in faith or looking at parenting, LBGT kids, all those sorts of things, and a group of people that are familiar with my site in Tauranga got in touch with me and asked if I would be willing to come down and run some workshops for them. Um, they were themselves struggling with this cognitive dissonance between what they were being told and actually what their reality was. And they just needed some help mm. to sort through and uh, be able to articulate what was going on for them. So that was mm. how the ball started rolling. And, um, yeah, they asked me to come down and, and present three workshops, which I did today. For those who haven't heard that term before, cognitive dissonance? Cognitive dissonance. Explain cognitive dis dissonance is when uh, what you 
think you believe or what you've taught you are supposed to believe doesn't match up with your reality. So it might not even be your reality. It might be what you've observed around you or what you've experienced or someone else has experienced. So it's when reality hits that brick wall and you go, this does not make any more sense. Yeah. That is a cognitive dissonance, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I guess an example of that for me was was growing up in a space where women weren't allowed to speak in churches. Yep. And then started dating a girl who went to a church, uh, a different church than me, and I went with her to that church and heard a woman preach for the first time, and it was the best sermon I'd ever heard in my life. Yeah. And that was cognitive dissonance. It was yeah. going, oh, well, I believe this set of things, but they don't make sense anymore in light of this. So, yeah, totally starts you on a journey of going okay what the heck then yeah yeah Yeah. and that's often the problem is people go well what now do I trust who do I trust Um, if this isn't true then what else isn't true yeah and that cognitive dissonance can begin the unraveling of a lot of things but that's not necessarily a bad thing Mm. Um, I think that's part of growing up and maturing and questioning and being curious and listening to people's stories and observing yeah. and then also taking into account your own lived reality. What's going on there? What's happening yeah. for you? And so what was your hope for the workshops? What did you want to get out of it? Yeah, it was um, it was a big call. So the first workshop we were looking at what are termed the clobber verses, which are a handful of verses that are often used against the LBGT community within a faith or church context. And often those clobber verses are pulled out and literally used to bash and to push people either out of the church or into a position of submission to what they are or who they are. Um, So the first workshop was looking at the frameworks and then also the interpretive lenses that we use and it all sounds very technical but basically it's just a form of interpretation mm-hmm. that we've been taught the Bible says um, and many of us have only been taught that there's one framework and that's it um, and when you bump up against different realities and discover that there are more frameworks that mm-hmm. can be quite disconcerting yeah so yes. that was the first one. like a conversation I had with someone today where we're saying like anytime someone says the Bible clearly says, <laughs> you're like unless you're going to end that sentence with nothing, like the Bible clearly says nothing. Yeah. Then I think actually you've got some work to do, and yeah, uh, for me it was a case of as I've studied more, the the more you start looking into the Bible, and looking at the way that interpretation has shaped things over the years, the more you realise that. Actually, it, it's all shaped by the way we interpret it. Yes. And there is no position that comes with without interpretation. It's all through a lens of some yeah. form, yeah. And so, so, yeah, so that was what you brought today, yeah. going, actually, there are different ways to look at these verses. Mm. Yeah. And they're actually not, necess- they're not new ways, we're actually... Uh, going back to how they may have been originally interpreted and understood. Um, and that has got lost for a very long time. So it's you know it's such a, a humbling place 
to find myself in trying to untangle these clobber verses mm -hmm. in a way that people can walk away at least knowing they can now articulate what they're feeling mm -hmm. and experiencing. Um, yeah, it's to give them some tools, but also to say this is just the beginning of the journey and there's plenty of very credible resources out there yeah. that they can get their hands on one resource at a time and and just do that work in the journey themselves, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so you're saying that was the first workshop? So that what? was the first workshop. Um, and then the second workshop we did what is called Lecto Divina. So I'm a spiritual director, I'm a trained spiritual director, and Lecto Divina is where we, we choose a piece of passage and we read it and we think about it and we, med well, meditate, I guess, is a good word for thinking. Um, and then we read it again and we meditate on it and we read it for a third time and then we f discover what words actually catch our attention, what causes us to be curious and maybe even what we find challenging. Yeah. So what happened today was we split the groups up and gave them little segments of the story of Peter and Cornelius, which is found in Acts 10. And it was just fascinating. And I've done this before with other groups. And every time I do it, the groups come up with new insights that I've never heard before. So I'm still surprised, which is fabulous, because mm. it's a place that I always want to be in. And the you know just sitting in that, that little bit of text and scripture and rereading it and seeing what comes up I don't th I think a lot of them had never done that process before yeah. um, and it was so insightful for people yeah it's a great way to go and then the the final workshop was I was just very briefly touching on the statements of position which is the position that uh, church or even organizations it doesn't have to be faith organizations um, would label themselves as either unwelcoming, welcoming, um, inclusive, affirming. There's sort of a range there. Mm -hmm. But just going through them really, really briefly so that we understand that a church that says that they're welcome or an organisation that says that they're welcome, but actually there are a whole heap of cravats around that, around belonging and leadership and a whole heap of things. Um, that's actually quite a red flag for our LBGT community, um, and they would they would look at an organisation saying that they're welcome or all are welcome or we love well, and they would take a second look at that and mm. go, I'm not sure that's safe. Yeah. So that's really interesting. And then we had a look at just what a a life-giving ethic might look like. And then we had a panel, which you were mm, on. So was, that yeah. was great. And those insights... And I cried, and I wasn't, you, planning, yeah, to, that's I wasn't right. planning to cry, yeah. but I did. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah, it was good. Tell us about that bit. Showed some emotions. Yeah, so I, I guess I was talking about how, for a long time, this was almost theoretical for me. But then realising that actually it was about real people. Mm. And then having got to that place of going okay, this is about real people and I've changed my mind now. Um, then finding that actually I wasn't as removed as I thought, that there yeah. were people in my own immediate family who um, who identify in, within the rainbow community um, that I didn't know when I was doing all this work. And then talking about how meaningful it is to me to have a church community that welcomes them with no... But yes. there's not a, we love you, 
but it's just we love you and how amazing that is as someone who loves my family members to see them welcomed for who they are absolutely um so yeah so that that was a pretty special moment mm. um like I said, I didn't, I didn't plan to cry. No. <laughs> and in fact, I'd, I've talked about the, that sort of thing before without even becoming emotional about it, but there was something just in that moment where I realised that that's actually really big, mm. that um, how grateful I am for a space where my family is welcome. Because mm. um, I'm always welcome. I'm a, a white, hetero, so cis gender. male. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> You know, right. I, I, places are designed for me. Um, but they're not always designed for other people. So, yeah, yeah so that was pretty special, mm. yeah. Mm. And there was such a, a beautiful vibe in the room today and, you know, there were people that were nervous to turn up. This mm. is something very new for them and often we're taught that even asking questions in this area is being unfaithful, right, mm. um, that you shouldn't ask those questions. Um, you should already know the answer because we've given it to you. Mm. But the people were turning up to the workshops today that, uh, you know, there was a lot, there was a lot at stake for them. Mm. This, there were consequences should they move on their position. Yeah. Um, and it was just, it was so encouraging to know that people had the courage to turn up mm. with their doubt and understand that this is just one more step in their journey. I always make it really, really clear that I'm never there to give people answers. I'm never there to tell people where to land. I'm just there to help them get off the runway with some fuel in their tank and then to point them towards some resources that will help them do the work for themselves. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think that's really important to, to say this wasn't a room full of people who already know what they think about this. Not at all. Um, having a big party and, you know, slapping each other on the back saying how good we are for having arrived. You know, this was a whole lot of people on various stages of a journey, uh, many of whom felt very uncomfortable mm. about having the conversation because we've created spaces in our churches where this kind of conversation is not welcome. Absolutely. Um, and so it, it kind of almost feels a bit naughty mm. to be having this conversation for a lot of people and yet... Going back to the cognitive dissonance thing, these are people that have, you know, a lot of them have got people from the rainbow community in their own families. Um, some of them are uh, have colleagues or, you know, people they bump into in their workplaces who just don't fit what the church has told us about what people in the rainbow community are like. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and going, how, how do I reconcile that? How do mm. I, how does what I feel for them and with them fit with what I've been taught mm. and um, and so yeah people on that kind of journey and uh, I think one of the things I really appreciated is you did say I'm not here to give you answers mm. and in fact you might go away with more questions yeah and that's okay yeah because um, I think I think it's a church thing but it's also a western enlightenment thing that we want to know the answers yeah and we've become really uncomfortable about sitting in uncertainty and yet when I look back on my life it's the moments of uncertainty and the questions and the doubts that have caused the most growth the most chance for change um, 
And that's been really uncomfortable. Yeah, it is. You know, and sometimes painful. Yeah. But also beautiful. Yeah. You know, and yeah, I, I just wish that we had a whole culture, but particularly within the church. We had a culture where questions weren't a threat. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, is that your experience as well? I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm talking like this yeah. is everybody's experience. But. <laughs> well, yeah, it is. It has been my experience. Um, and you know, I've talked on this before where growing up in a church environment where women weren't allowed to be in yeah. ministry, you know, told that women... Um, were stepping outside of the anointing of God should they think they had a position higher than what they were given. Um, So for me that wrestling started when I was at Bible college and and it was really painful. It, It felt really naughty to even ask the questions or even to look for female leaders and ministers and people that were giving messages because I'd been taught for so long that that that's just unfaithful. Um, so yeah, that unlearning part is is the digging out, it's the cleaning out, it's the um, the spring clean of ideas that you have been given and perhaps have just regurgitated without thinking about. Um, and then you know when it comes to areas like the LBGT space, having to rethink that again. And like you, I'm an ally. I don't. And I don't have any skin in the game, which perhaps gives me that freedom um, or perhaps that that armour maybe is a good word, where I can read into this without it pinging into my own emotion so much. It's, um, not, it's very different to what it was when I was undoing and unlearning women in ministry. That was, that was my pain. This is listening into other people's pain um, and just trying to work a way forward. Now, the interesting thing is when you get off the runway and you start asking all these questions and it feels really unfaithful and everything feels very uncertain, what you actually discover is faith. Yeah. And that is the beauty of it when, you know, now I actually kind of get excited when I feel that leaning or that invitation to unlearn something. It's like, oh, mm. oh, we're doing this again. I wonder where this is going to go. And every time, every time, um, my faith has got bigger and looks different. So where I land or um, how I use all the information because I'm a researcher, I'm a theologian, I love all that geeky, nerdy stuff. Mm. Um, yeah, I've, I'm now sort of like, oh, I recognise this feeling. It's going to be painful. I wonder yeah. where it'll end up. Yeah. It's interesting as you were talking about the unlearning and relearning. I was thinking back to when I used to work in um, like sport management coaching area. Mm. And we used to talk about how people say practice makes perfect. But we would go, no, actually, practice makes permanent. Yeah. But if you practice the wrong thing, you just get the wrong thing made permanent. Yeah. So actually, like, you look at, um, like, rugby goal kickers or something, and they're missing all the time, and there's something going wrong. And so the person that works with them has to help them 
undo mm. what they've practiced mm. so that they can then redo something different so that it starts going over the over the crossbar again. Mm. And it's, I mean, what a beautiful metaphor for what, we, what we're trying to do and going, you know, that doesn't make them a bad rugby player because they want to unlearn some things that are actually making it not work properly. Yeah. And I think in faith circles, we've got to get to that place as well where it's like, no, unlearning stuff is okay. Mm. And in fact, necessary mm, indeed for us to grow and be faithful Christians. Mm. Um, whether it's about what we're talking about today, or whether it's about uh, race, or how we treat the poor, or whether capitalism is the gift of God, or you know, a whole bunch of things. <laughs> yeah. um, whether you have to vote for particular political parties, yeah. you know, th- there's a whole bunch of things that we can analyze, and some of those things we might do a whole journey and then end up back where we started. Hmm. And that's okay too. Mm, It is. But other times we might go on that journey and realise that actually we're going to land somewhere quite different and that that's okay. Mm. So, yeah, I I liked that you were inviting people into that today and and not saying, so you have to get to where I've got. Yeah. You know, but just going, look, I know you've got questions, that's why you're here. Let's work on those questions together and point you in a direction where you can find more answers mm, yeah. um, and ask more questions. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, essentially what, what I'm presenting, especially in that first workshop, is I'm standing on the backs of theologians and biblical scholars that have already done a lot of this work, right? So what I'm doing is I'm highlighting and then I'm pointing. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's a really healthy way to do it um, because there's so much really good work already being done. There's no point in me redoing it. Mm. Um, yeah, so it's pointing people towards those resources is important. Mm. One of the things that I really liked that you said today was it's okay to have your subfloor cracked. Yes. Do you want to just explain that yeah. for people? Yeah, so in what I find in spiritual direction is people often come to spiritual direction because there's this cognitive dissonance, whatever the reason, and... Um, even though I have an area, a specialty area where I'm helping LBGT people or uh, parents of LBGT kids to make some sense of this cognitive dissonance, um, I have a whole range of people. So it's it's not just in that particular area. But what often happens and what I've observed is they've come in with these cracks in their faith foundation and only to discover that the cracks in that supposed foundation is just a subfloor, that it's not a floor that will hold their faith for very long. And those cracks are actually good. They're actually holy invitations to break through and find the firmer foundation underneath. And that means breaking. Mm-hmm. And that can you know, that's the unlearning, that's the painful part of it for them. But then on the other side of that, is also the hope where they then get to start recognising and rebuilding a firmer foundation. Mm. Um, and that's, yeah, that's such a, a privilege. And the thing that I love about spiritual direction is you can see when, when that penny drops for them, when, when they are able to articulate what the cognitive dissonance is or what the crack is, they can actually put a name to it. And just in doing that, they can sit back and go, oh, oh, I get it. Mm. Oh, and then we start the relearning. Um, And that, yeah, that's just an amazing 
position to be able to sit in with mm-hmm. clients, yeah. Um, the other thing I, I thought was quite powerful that you talked about today was how we've got this very strong view that within the church particularly mm. that there's kind of two positions. There's a conservative position and a liberal position and both of them look scornfully on the other. Yes. Um, but you talked about kind of a different... Different position. Position or even just different perspective on that whole thing. Mm. Yeah, do you want to tell us mm, where you sit on sure. that? Sure. So often within that conservative framework we are told that that is the only framework that's faithful and that the liberal framework is the slippery slope to losing your faith, right? So what I try to do is I try to offer a framework that is not based on conservative theology or liberal theology but is based on liberation theology. And liberation is a theology that offers freedom to everybody. Um, And it might mean that the word, because often growing up in church, we often heard the word salvation, right? And salvation to get us into the next life, or salvation here, blah, 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 whatever it is. Um, but what if we what if we swapped that word back into liberation? Like, what if what we're actually being offered is liberation and freedom and shalom and peace um, and grace? And so that when I do this, when I offer this other form of theology or framework for people, again, there's that moment where they go, oh, that sounds really attractive. And there's a point where when we have this discussion and they are feeding back to me their experiences and their observations around that, that all of a sudden the liberation becomes real for them. And you can see, you can see that the liberal is no longer a scary place and the conservative is no longer a scary place. But there is a place that can hold the tension for them, and that's the liberation theology. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think that's pretty powerful because we, we're so into our binaries oh, absolutely. of I'm this and not that. And if you become that, or You're out. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, the, the conversation if there ever was a conversation around this whole area when I was growing up, was that if you started down this path, and their favourite thing is the slippery slope the Slippery idea. slope, the backsliding, um, yeah. But that if you if you started having this conversation, it was a slippery slope to losing your faith. Mm. And you would become this other liberal, you know, whatever. Yeah. And then I also know liberals who, it's like, oh, I can't believe those conservative you know and and just can't for the life of them figure out how anyone could possibly believe that yeah and um and yet i think the way you're talking kind of like you say it holds that tension it holds grace for people to go actually maybe it's not about us versus you yeah maybe it's about the setting free in the middle of both of our spaces and what does that look like and how does that draw us to a more loving place Mm. and the liberation isn't just for you personally yeah it's also for your community it's for your family for your organization and maybe it's also liberation for your church Mm. which sounds quite radical yeah Mm. i always find that these workshops and conferences and things 
some of the best moments are actually in the morning tea breaks and, the, mm. you know, those kind of spaces. Yeah. Um, what sorts of conversations, without obviously outing anybody, yeah. Yeah. what sorts of conversations and feedback and things did you hear from people throughout yeah. the day? Yeah, I think probably the, the sense that I got from a lot of people that I spoke to was just a sense of relief that there were other people in the room having the same questions that they were. It's like, oh, yeah. oh, it's not just me. Oh, okay. And then probably the other sense was, oh, you've actually enabled me to articulate things better, like the clobber verses. By the time I'd gone through them, and it was a very brief overview, um, and, but there was a lot of information, um, you know, they were like, oh, I get it now. Like, it kind of makes sense. Um, so it's just trying to help people put ducks in a row, understand that interpretation matters and what framework of interpretation matters and that we are not stuck in one particular framework. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's probably what I got back. Um, there was some younger people there that were just really pleased that people were doing the work. And, you know, you could see the relief on their face that mum's here, she's doing the work. Older ladies are here with grey hair, they're doing the work. That was beautiful. That I was amazing, that. yeah. Um, so, yeah, there was just that that sense of safety and relief and I'm okay, it's safe here. Yeah, I mean, I, I had conversations in those spaces as well and the number of people that I talked to who were there because of a family member or because of a colleague or, yeah. you know, and, and it had become personal yeah. and so it mattered suddenly. And I think the challenge for us is to go, well, what if it is a family member or a colleague, but I don't know yet? Mm. Is that still important? Mm -hmm. You know, because actually, yes, I mean, it's great that if that is a family member or a colleague, it's not just rejection. You know, it's questioning and, mm. and stuff. Mm. But actually, we never know who might be. No. Um, identifying in that community or f trying to figure out whether they even do or not yeah. and and we might be a barrier to them having a faith in God you know or Absolutely. anything like that but um but yeah having conversations with those kind of people who were just really delighted that their questions were valid mm. what, have, what have we done like what have we done that's caused people to feel like they really cannot ask questions without getting battered over the head or wrapped yeah. across the knuckles. I know this whole certainty around our faith is not faith. Mm. It's just not. Faith is meant to be uncertain and messy and unlearning and relearning and yeah. it's meant to be influenced by the people we sit next to on the bus and, you know, what's happened? Mm. Yeah. It always cracks me up when people are like, oh, we just need to get back to what, like, the first church were like. It's like, what the Bible says. Well, you, you mean the first church who, like, had people sleeping with their father's wife or, yep. you know, like, yep. there was so much going on. So it was messy. Yeah. It was really messy. And a lot of our New Testament is people getting into that mess and going, hey, I don't know if we're supposed to live like this. Yeah. Um, but actually... Stop judging them because, well, actually, you're doing that too. And 
you know, mm. let's figure out how we can do this well together and live well together. And um, yeah, it's but you're right that we've we've cut out that ability to ask questions, mm. um, to to wonder why we believe stuff. You know, you, no, you just have to believe. That's having faith is you just have to believe. So, mm. well, <laughs> that sounds like a bit more like a dictatorship than a yeah. than a faith to yeah. me. You know, just having to believe what you're told just doesn't seem like what Jesus was about. If if we just had to believe what we were told, he wouldn't have come and told parables. He would have just come and told us what to believe. Yeah, you know, and and it, what's fascinating about that is, like, it says Jesus told parables so that people wouldn't understand. Yeah. <laughs> so that they had to go digging. So they had to. He never question. gave a straight answer. No. And and um, and he always asked questions. Yeah. And yet we're we've created these spaces where asking questions seems like insubordination. Yes. Like you're not honouring those in leadership. When actually those in leadership are just people too. Mm-hmm. Yes, they're performing a function within the church space. And yes, that can be really important. But that doesn't make people more important because mm. they're in that role and it doesn't make them infallible. And we certainly know church leaders aren't infallible. No. <laughs> I'm one, so there you go. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so that's that was one of my big things today was hearing people feel like it was okay to be asking questions. Mm. And you know, if that's all that people walked away with, mm. awesome. Yeah. You know, if they walked away with more than that, great. Yeah. But to hear, oh, actually, I'm allowed to ask these questions. Be curious. God is not frightened by me asking questions. No. Um, and in fact, God probably actually wants me asking questions. So, yeah, no, that, that was really cool. Um, you brought up during the, the day that like a lot of this work that you're doing now sits on the foundation of your master's research, mm. which was actually listening to the stories of people mm. in the rainbow community. That's right, yeah. And one interesting thing you talked about was that of all the people you talked to, they their coming out was a journey of becoming authentic for God. Yes. Do you want to talk about that yeah. a little bit? Yeah. So part of one of the questions that was asked of my interviewees um, was for them to relay part of their coming out story. And within each question I was... I was very careful to ask, so where was the presence of God in those moments? Or not the presence of God in those moments, right? Because sometimes decisions to come out were purely for survival, for life. Um, But most of my interviewees, the majority of them said, no, I came out for God because I couldn't be authentic before God unless I came out. Mm. And, you know, we're asking people to turn up to church with all that they are, bring yourself, and yet this group of people are having to turn up before God and not be authentic in who they are. Um, yeah, so the, the whole idea that they were coming out for God and not against God, they weren't coming out because it was a rebellion against God or family or community or church. This was actually coming out because if I stay hidden, I am dying. 
part of me is dying inside. And that's not just emotional, that is also spiritual. Mm. And so when we're asking people to conform into a certain way of knowing and being within a, within a church organisation that is not authentic, we are, we are doing a lot of trauma. We are mm. contributing to trauma and harm. And we've got to stop it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I just hear you saying about, you know, we are dying. And if you look at the rainbow community as a whole, that's emotional, that's spiritual, but that's also very physical. Physical, yes. <laughs> at alarming rates. Yep. Largely because of the way that they've been dealt with by the church. And I know we didn't actually talk about it today, but, you know, if you're looking at uh, Jesus saying the good tree is known by its fruit, mm. well, as a church, the fruit of our stance against the rainbow community mm. has been suicide. Death. Yeah. Rejection. Yeah. Trauma. Children getting kicked out of their homes. Yeah. Family splitting. Teenagers living on the street. Yep. I don't see a lot of good fruit. No. I don't see a lot of children going, okay, then I will come back to God and not be gay. Yeah. I just see a lot of hurt and broken people. Yeah. And that's one of the things that convinced me to go, maybe we got it wrong. Yeah. Um, As we have got things wrong before. So many things. Yeah. 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 This is just the next thing on the subfloor list that needs to be broken. Mm. And every time the subfloor starts to get cracks, often what the church does is digs its heels and toes in and does not want to move. And it will call this sort of change, this sort of allyship, this sort of authenticity as heresy. Mm. And that, that is very problematic because when we look back at the history of church, the things that they called heresy one day are orthodoxy the next day. Mm. So we've got to be very, very careful that we are not so inflexible that we can't entertain the idea that we've been wrong mm. again and again. Mm. The yeah. one that you talked about today that blew my mind was the idea that if you didn't own a slave, you weren't a proper Christian. That's right. Yeah, so this was... And, and we look at that now and go... What the heck? Yeah. Yeah, that's totally. right. And yet that was... That was justified in the Bible for them. They had to just find a verse that talked about slaves submitting and honouring their masters. Oh, of course, so we can all, we, we should have a slave. To, to push against that is heresy. Mm. And it wasn't until Wilberforce and his gang in England stuck their heads up and said no more, mm -hmm. that things started to change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because, yeah, I don't think, when we, we look back, for those who have heard about the way that Wilberforce helped abolish slavery with his um, Clapham set, the stories that I've heard around that have, have been told in a way that this was like an England problem, <laughs> but doesn't talk about a church problem. Mm. And it's England, distanced yeah. the church from it, but <laughs> in that, context it was very much the same thing you know the british empire church of england was the church yeah yes and so this was a christian problem yes and now we look at it with horror going 
how could anyone possibly think that? Mm. And so, yeah, I think that's really freeing to go, the church has changed its mind on a heck of a lot of stuff over the years. As societies have changed, as new questions have come up, as we've realised that specific political interests have mm-hmm. skewed our view of interpretation of the Bible. Um, and this is another of, of those where you can actually identify several key moments where political decisions were made that uh, ostracised certain people. Absolutely. And, um, and that's really sad that that's then become the norm for the church. Mm. And so it's okay for us to ask questions and to challenge that perspective. Um, yeah. Mm. What's your... Guess what's your favourite thing about doing these kind of workshops? Uh, what's my favourite thing? What do you love about it? I like to be able to impart all the information and reading that I've done in a way that hopefully is... Um, can be heard mm-hmm. um, but then also you know the second workshop where we did the Lecto Divina around the Peter and Cornelius story I just love people discovering for themselves they don't need me there They all I'm doing is facilitating and asking them so what stood out to you what were you curious about what challenged you and they came up with some they came up with everything on their own right they came up with everything that and things I'd never heard other people say about those scriptures. And I love that part. I love seeing people be surprised again by God. Mm. Yeah. And they loved it too. And they loved it. Yeah. I think for it, they probably expected to come and be sitting and listening all day. And be told. And be told what yeah. to, to think or told what the answers were. And to be invited into reading scripture and asking the questions about what does that tell us about God. Yeah. It was beautiful. It It was was great. And I mean, if you're listening, go and read the story of Peter and Cornelius in Acts 10 and just read it and sit with it and then read it again and see what jumps out to you. See what, what ideas are coming out to you about the way that God works in the world. Mm. Um, And just let yourself sit there and, and ask God to to reveal words, phrases, let things jump out at you that uh, can speak to you around this because it's it's such a powerful exercise. Mm. And you can do that with any passage, but this is just one that we one, yeah. we we chose today and and was really fruitful. Yeah, um, yeah. And the, like you said, there are many stories that we could go to, but this one is really important because Peter is the one that's unlearning. And discovering, discovering the presence of God in the very people that He's been told and been teaching that God can't be in, and he and, turns up. And this up. is the guy who's leading the whole yeah, church. Yeah, and he turns up, and God's already been there a couple of days, if not longer than that, doing work. Right. So it's and this is. Mm. This is the revelation stuff. This is the liberation mm. of scripture that it offers. You go, oh, oh, okay. Mm, I'm surprised. Yeah. yeah. I love that. I love the aspect that we've got theologians and we've got people who have done a whole lot of the deep theological work. Yeah. But we've also got us. 
yeah. who can read scripture and ask God, what are you like? Yeah. You know, teach me what you're like. And I mean, that's, it can be really hard to do when mm. you've got all that you've taught being the voices in the background helping you interpret that. But it's just as important as reading all the theological stuff. Absolutely. That, that it needs to be a journey of personal engagement as well as just learning the stuff. Mm. Um, mm. So and that, we did it in groups yes, as well today. Yeah, so to do it with other mm. people is really helpful because they will have insights that, that haven't been revealed mm. to you. So I was actually telling my um, the group I lead at, at our Anglican church that, uh, like I grew up kind of in an environment where if you didn't do your personal Bible reading every day, you were a bad Christian yep. kind of thing. Um, I don't. I mean, my parents probably never said that to me or whatever. But it's just the the church culture was: if you're a good Christian, you'll read your Bible every day. Yeah. And I've actually found out I'm a really rubbish individual reader of the Bible, <laughs> but I love reading it with other people. Yeah. And pulling it together, and I mean, I can study the Bible really well on my own, mm. but I actually just love reading it with other people um, and talking about it and just going, what What do you get out of that? What jumps out to you? Oh, I didn't. That didn't jump out for me. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Tell me more about that. Um, yeah. And that's faith and community, right? Yeah. And you know, it's interesting. Um, you talked about sort of church leadership authority, that this is the way that you need to believe. Yeah. Um, one thing that often comes to my mind is that what they're actually asking is for the Holy Spirit in you to bow to the Holy Spirit in them. Well, and I don't think it works that way. There are people that have done research and reading that are knowledgeable, but that does not mean that the Holy Spirit in them gets bowed to by the Holy Spirit in you. Yeah, you have discernment. You, you have everything you need already placed in you. Mm. You might need help to figure that out and articulate it, mm. but um, yeah, it's. It just, and I think this is where the pride and the the arrogance comes in, that we don't allow the space for other people to go. So, what's the Holy Spirit saying to me, or what mm. is the Holy Spirit saying to us as a small group, or mm. where does where's the room for that? And then that, of course, brings up the uncertainty and the questions, and we go, Oh, we can't do that. Yeah. We're being unfaithful. Where I think I've said several times today. What if we lent into that as a holy invitation into learning about the expansiveness of God? Mm. The whole environment would change if yeah. you were allowed to do that. I love that. The, the expansiveness of God. Yeah. Yeah. It's really easy to box God into our image. We do it all the time. And actually we weren't, we didn't, oh, I think, I can't even remember who said it, but there's a famous quote around, you know, God made us in his image and we've been returning the favour ever since. <laughs> you know, that, that we keep boxing God into this thing we can understand. That's comfortable. That fits with all that we know mm. and that sees the world our way. Yeah. And that's a very small it's a of very small God. Yeah. Yeah. And so to, I love that language of the expansiveness of God, that yeah. there's this expansiveness of love, this expansiveness of, of joy, 
of peace, of, of all the stuff that is on offer because that's who God is, not because that's what God's got to give. Or what we deserve. Yeah. And so, yeah, just beautiful. Um, yeah, any final thoughts on, on today? Um, no, I think, you know, we had someone on the panel that was part of the LBGT faith community, and she was really nervous to speak and she spoke so well well. and articulated well and you know there were times where she grabbed the mic back and had more to say and I was just like yeah she was owning that space and we could not have done that day without her yeah um because it's very easy for someone like me who's cisgendered to give all this information but you actually need that lived reality in Mm. there you need to know that this is real people that have actually been in your presence all day listening to the comments um, and yeah she just she owned that space with such humility but also with an authority that this is my story mm. this is my story and we need to hear a wide variety of stories because the stories that we've been fed that we have been taught to believe are the dominant stories are the minority of those stories. Mm. They are the loudest because they've shouted the loudest, but they are not everyone's story. Um, so, yeah, it's really important. I was so pleased that that the team decided that's what we were going to go mm-hmm. with and, and, and have her on the, the panel, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Awesome. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think there was a couple of questions that came through and the rest of us on the panel went... We're not going to answer that before you do, yeah, because yeah. that's not our. Yeah. It's not our place to answer that before you. Um, we've got some thoughts and opinions, but we'll we'll share those once we've heard what mm. you've got to say. And I think mm. that's another thing that came through really strongly today is a really key part of this journey is listening, mm-hmm. hearing people who are part of the rainbow community, uh, hearing their experiences. Mm. hearing their thoughts, uh, even hearing how they would like those of us who aren't part of the Rainbow community to support them. Yes. Because you can have all sorts of ideas about how to support people, but you could be really wrong. Well, you know... We <laughs> and, I mean, we've got a history yeah, of that in the church. Of yeah, the, the saviour <laughs> complex. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And one of the things, you know, on my website on Already Enough on the Allied page, I talk about we have to remember that we are not the ones in the ring. We are on the corner markers of the boxing ring and we are there waiting to be invited to make sure that the, you know, the, the courtside refs who think they know what's going on or the couch, the couch refs at home or the rotten tomato throwers or whatever, they are the people that we stand in front of when mm. we are asked to. We've got to be very careful that we don't make a whole heap of assumptions that... We have come to save this. We are there to support, and and we need to be careful that we ask, "What do you need?" Mm. Yeah, what do you need? Yeah, cool. Mm. Um, for those who would like to head to already enough, mm. um, first of all, what what's the website? Right, and yes. secondly, what are they going to find there? Yeah, so alreadyenough.co.nz. And on there you will find um, you will find a resource tab which will look at um, already researched 
already shifting, and already shifting is a page of resources for people who have got that cognitive dissonance, but it doesn't necessarily have to be around the rainbow topic. Right. Okay, so these are people that are noticing those cracks in the subfloor and they're going, what the heck, I don't want to lose my faith, but something is breaking here, what is it? So um, already shifting, and then we've got already parenting, already out, and actually I've changed the wording on there, it's actually out slash in, so... It's really important for us mm -hmm. to understand that people aren't coming out to us. They're actually inviting us in to their story. Yeah. There's a big shift there. And then there's already allied um, and already church. So often what I will get is church leaders will message me and go, I've got no idea who is safe to talk to about this. Can you recommend some resources? And this is, you know, this goes on and on all the time, church leaders, they cannot even talk to their colleagues about this, yeah. right? Um, so that there's all those resources there. There's a page where you can get to know me a little bit more. Um, there will soon be a link on there to my spiritual direction and Enneagram practition and supervision so that you can link in there as well. Um, and yeah, it's just really, it's just a whole heap of resources. And it's not just books, it's also YouTube and podcasts and quotes from different people that I highly respect and I feel more than comfortable to put them in there. Um, occasionally I'll come across a podcast that I go, oh yeah, that needs to be added. And so on my Instagram handle, then that will come up mm. on there so you can find it easily. Like down to earth conversation. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, so so that's what that website is for. Um, and that's also where this group in Tauranga got in touch with me yeah. so to do some speaking. I am sometimes asked to come in and speak to church leaders and elderships that know that they need to start this conversation but don't know where to find the resources. And in those cases, I am happy to come in and just sit with them around the table and have a conversation and go, okay, so here's the first resource that I recommend you read as an eldership and a leadership team. Um, and then we'll go from there. I'm not doing anything with you until you've read that book. Yeah, right. right? So yeah. there's no point me just regurgitating. They need to do that work first and then mm. I'll come and have another chat. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I was going to say thank you for your time here. Thank you for your time all day. I've, <laughs> I've just loved spending time with you, and, you and hearing your passion for loving people. Yeah. Because um, in the end, we can talk theology till we're blue in the face. Yeah, but this is, this is about loving people. Mm. And that came through really loud and clear. So, yeah, thank you for um, – for I think you said today you hate waste, and so that's part of how already enough came <laughs> yeah, about. You're right, yeah. putting stuff that from your research, your your masters and stuff, yeah. out for other people to find. Thank you for that, because that's, you know, I, I mean, I've done my masters, and now it sits in the Laidlaw Library, and, <laughs> and I, it gets recommended to other people who are doing their masters to go and look at how you might do a yeah, masters. Yeah. Um, but apart from that, I don't know who reads it. Yeah, yeah, but thank you for for your willingness to stand in a space that other people find uncomfortable mm. and to make it a bit more comfortable mm. for them to step into. Um, thank you for being willing to validate people's questions. Um, thank you for what you're doing to bring a bit of heaven down to earth. Thank you. Thank you. It's very sweet.
Questions and doubts as holy invitations. I love that. If you have questions or doubts in your faith, not only is that okay, but it's actually healthy and can lead to a much deeper and richer faith. And of course, if you do have any questions around what we talked about on this episode, I'll put a link to Amanda's website in the show notes, which is a great beginning point. So lean into that discomfort and see where the journey takes you. Amanda, thank you for who you are and for what you do. Here is a blessing for you. Amanda, as you continue to walk out this journey of life and faith, may you always remember that you too are already enough. That who you are is who you are meant to be. And that what you do flows from that and not the other way around. As you continue to embrace a more expansive faith, may you find your own relationships flourishing, your world expanding, and your connections deepening. May you know that your willingness to stand with the rainbow community, to hear them and to help others to hear them, is a work that is changing minds and changing lives. May the churches that you engage with find better ways of being Christ to the world as they embrace the journey of changing their minds and changing their practices. May you continue to find areas of cognitive dissonance in your faith, leading you to those questions that are holy invitations to a fuller faith. And as you choose time and time again to lean into that discomfort, may you find more and more of the expansiveness of God for you and for all those around you. Lastly, may you know you are seen, you are heard, and you are loved. Thanks to Strawn for the music and Rangi for the karakia. Join me next time for another great conversation with another ordinary person who is bringing a bit of heaven down to earth. Until then, me inoi tato. E tō mātou matua i te rangi Kia tapu tō ingoa Kia tau mai tō rangatira tanga Kia mea te tau e pai ai ki runga ki te whenua Kia rite anō ki tō te rangi Hommai kia mātou ai nei E taroma mātou mō tēnei rā Muro mātou hara Me mātou hoki e muru nei I o te hunga E hara ana kia mātou Aua hoki mātou e kawea Kia whakawaia E ngari whakorangia mātou I te kino Amen